Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Our scripture reading today is from Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me. To the churches of Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to prevent the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning, we are beginning a new sermon series. If you've been around our community for a while, you'll notice that we change things up quite often. Sometimes we'll have a a sermon series around a practice that we're trying to explore, a spiritual practice we're trying to explore together. Other times, we have a sermon series based in response to needs within our community that we're, we're perceiving. Sometimes we just follow the church calendar and it's time for Advent, so we're going to have an Advent series. But we would like to make it normal that during the year we have sections of our year where we study sections of Scripture. So we actually study Scripture thoroughly and together. And that's what we're beginning right now is the study on this book called Galatians. Over the next six weeks, we're going to look at the six chapters of Galatians, one chapter per week. And our encouragement is that you don't only just come to church and hear six different sermons, but that each of us in our own life are actually reading each of these chapters, processing it uh, together and individually, um, one chapter per week. And so a little bit, if we're going to be doing this, a little bit on the background story on this book called Galatians. Well, it's more... Uh, it's more precisely not a book, but it's a letter. It's a, what we're reading is a letter from a man named Paul. Paul had a dramatic encounter with God's grace. He was once an enemy of God. He was a violent man oppressing people who were starting to follow the teachings of Jesus. And he had this dramatic encounter where he met Christ along this Damascus road, and his world fell apart, and it was rebuilt again in the mercy and the grace of God. And part of that rebuilding is that Paul went from being an enemy of the church to being a follower of Christ and uh, a church planner. He would go to 
different regions where there really wasn't a church, and it helped to start Christian communities and churches. And so uh, what we have in our scriptures, if you were to look at your Bible, the very last section, most of that last section is a collection of letters that people like Paul wrote to these new churches who were trying to figure out what it was like to actually follow Jesus together. Churches like much like us are a little bit newer. We're trying to figure out what does it mean for us to be people of Jesus' life and claims and promises. And so um, what, that's what we find here. And so this, this book, this letter to the church in Galatians, um, is like many other letters that Paul wrote. These letters were full of encouragement. They had some correction. There's some instruction. But it's important to know that Paul is writing to people whom he knew. These weren't just strangers. These were people he actually shared life with. He spent time with. So he knew them personally. Some of my favorite parts of these letters were uh, Paul writing and saying, hey, I left my coat there. Would you mind keeping it for me? I need it. I want it back. That's a man after my own heart. Because uh, I know when I travel, I always have this sick feeling I left something behind. And so Paul, I mean, this is, an, this is a personal letter that Paul is writing. I wonder if Paul knew that 2,000 years later, we'd be reading it here in Austin, Texas. as Holy Scripture. Isn't that just profound? But the Paul, uh, Paul was writing this letter to uh, these, uh, this area called Galatia, this region. This was modern-day Turkey. And so this is how this letter begins. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, see the credibility he's trying to build here, right? But by Jesus Christ, God the Father, who raised him from the dead and who also raised all the brothers and sisters with me. And here is who he's writing to, to the churches in Galatia. So this letter wasn't just written to one church, as we might imagine, like this gathering or a mega church and like that. He was writing to a collection of, of communities. Imagine house churches, people that would gather together. He was writing to this kind of, it was like, not like top down, it was like this really organic movement that Christ was doing. And so he's writing to the, the churches in Galatia. And so likely, this letter would get to that region and it would start making the rounds and people would start sharing this letter to each of these communities. And I wonder what Paul has to say to us. And then they would get this letter and they would find out what Paul is up to. Now there's something striking about this first chapter. If you were to read many of the other letters that Paul wrote, the beginnings are quite predictable. It would begin with him saying a greeting and then there's like a long thing of formal praise and a lot of pleasantries. But here in this, this letter, Paul skips all of that. Why? Paul, he's troubled. He's a bit cranky, if you were to read this. It stands out that way, which is maybe why I kind of like it. Do you know how frustrating it is when you work hard to set up something? Like you work and you toil, and you set up something and you leave and it all falls apart. Do you know that feeling? For me, the most clear experience I have is as a father of three young kids, my most complicated part of my day is bedtime. I, I sweat at bedtime. I get nervous at bedtime. Why? It's the most complicated sequence of events to make the perfect sleeping arrangement. My, my parents did none of this. They would let me stay up We'd watch the news together. I'd hear the theme song of MASH come on, and it was time for me to go to bed. And they just assumed I brushed my teeth and assumed I went to bed. 
not my kids. For my kids, this is what we have. We have like this delicate, sequential uh, experience to help fabricate this rule that they have to fall asleep at some point. It, it includes fans. It includes sound machines, night lights. There's certain books that have certain traditions with reading each book. There's some kids who have special stuffed animals that have to be on the bed. Some of them now are wearing eye masks, even though they're the ones that demand night lights being on. It's so frustrating. I have two of my kids that want ice in their water. One of them doesn't. And they all have a special way that they have to kiss goodnight. And don't you know when you're walking out the door, there's, Dad, one, one last kind of curveball request, right? And there's nothing for me that's more frustrating if when you have checked off those 45 <laughs> boxes on that list, you go downstairs and you hear the thumping of them coming down the stairs. And they want you to do it all over again, but now they've spilled their water on their bed, they can't find their eye mask, you know, there's not enough ice in their water. It's so frustrating. I, I really think when I grew up, it, my parents treated me like a feral cat. They just thought I would ball up a blanket in a corner and fall asleep somewhere. Now, that kind of frustration is something that Paul is experiencing to the next level. Why? Is because he had spent time with these communities. He had loved them. He had taught them the way of Jesus. He had taught them some good news. And he leaves, and I'm sure he's like, that. those churches in Galatia, they are set up. They are going to do well. God is at work there. And then... He hears news. They are stomping down the stairs and they have made a mess of it all. And he hears that. And out of love and of compassion and what it seems to be a little bit of frustration, he writes this letter. Paul is experiencing this loving call to help this church to remember what's truly important. Paul is troubled with a singular issue. Perhaps even a singular word. It's a word that you heard six different times in the scripture reading that we heard just here a little bit ago. And that word is the word gospel. That's the big issue, is the word gospel. Uh, Listen to Paul's tone in this first section. Typically, this is the section where he shares like nice kindness, pleasantries, thanksgiving. This is what he says instead. This is in verse six. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ, and you are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Paul is saying, I am am shocked by how quickly things fell apart for you, how quickly you made a mess of what you heard to be true. And friends, this is not just like some sort of different alternate like tweaking of a gospel. It is no gospel at all. Now, this is difficult for us because, like, words like gospel have, like, kind of just everyone has their own definition of what gospel means. It has different meanings to different people. So, for instance, when you hear the phrase the gospel, what comes to mind? This is like a play-all, all-skate kind of moment. When you hear the phrase the gospel, what comes to mind? Good news? Story of Jesus? Covers it? What about sharing the gospel? The plan of salvation? Good. 
What's interesting is for a lot of people, we don't even know what to make of that word. Now, just in case that was confusing, this word is more helpful. The Greek word for gospel is euangelion, which is what we translate to be evangelical. That word has few baggage, right? It's like clear, good, lovable word. What comes to the mind when you hear the word evangelical? Salesy, what's that? TV pastor? Big hair? I'm growing it out, I know. What else comes to mind when you hear the word evangelical? Born again? Huh? Great commission? If you were to stop people around Austin, I think that some people would have different answers. Evangelical is a voting block. It's a political power. For some people, evangelical doesn't even feel removed from church. And so when we come to these words like evangelical and gospel, I think it's important for us to do a little bit of work of reclaiming what actually do these words mean. Let's not just let our society, our culture, our background define them. Let's actually look at what do these words mean. So what is the gospel? Now, Paul didn't come up with this word. He didn't create this word gospel, and neither did Jesus even. This word was around before the time of Jesus. It was not something that they made up. It came from Rome. The word gospel was used in Rome as Rome is this empire would go and conquer new people and new lands as that empire was expanding. Each time a major victory would take place, they would send out word to the rest of the empire, hey, good news, good news, gospel. We have conquered new people. We now rule over them. That land is ours. Those people are are ours. And they would share that gospel, that good news around that empire. Don't you know that that gospel, that good news, would also go to the neighbors that live nearby? And don't you know that they would hear that and they would go, I wonder if we're next. I wonder if we're we're about to be conquered as well. So that good news would be good news for those in power and bad news for those who weren't in power, those who were just defeated. And when that gospel would spread around, it would take on a different meaning. So when Jesus steps in this world, he steps in and he he flips things around. He takes this word that is is like a power and dominance and oppression and violence. And he says, you know what? I'm going to redefine that word. I want to give it new meaning. So Matthew chapter, this is, for example, Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. Jesus was going throughout all of Galilee, teaching, them, uh, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. Do you, so he's proclaiming the gospel. He's making it known. Do you see how subversive that was? Like to, to take it and go, like, all right, I'm going to make it my own. I'm going to show you there's a deeper meaning to this. So take something that belonged to those empowered. Take something that belonged to the regime and say that word belongs to me. Because when I share my gospel, it won't be just for those in power. It won't be for those who feel dominated and oppressed. It won't be 
used to describe when people who are vulnerable are being exploited. My gospel is a gospel of liberation, of freedom, of newness. It's a, go- it's a gospel that is not bound by a certain empire because I have a different kind of kingdom. And that kingdom is expanding. It is going forward. It is claiming people, not as I own them, but they are set free, set free to be who they want to be, to be healed and be restored. That, my friends, is good news. And Jesus' good news was that his kingdom would expand and it would last for all time. And this gospel, it's about having a restored relationship with God, this connection with God that's no longer hindered by sin and shame and brokenness. But the gospel is also about kingdom work. It's more than just about this. It's about the fact that the lowly are now lifted up, the marginalized are now valued, the shattered can be made whole. That is the gospel. And I oftentimes, I echo with Paul's pain and his frustration and disbelief between the chasm of Jesus' gospel and oftentimes what people have experienced the gospel to be in our midst. I might even want to say some words like in in verse 7, evidently some people are throwing us into confusion. They have perverted the gospel of Christ. It's a sad thing how confusing we've made the good news of Jesus. Oh, Lord, like, would you forgive for how we have confused our world and to forgive our incredible ability to take this beautiful, timeless, perfect, expansive message and to distort it. And friends, it seems like we do that anytime we take the message of Jesus, the good news of the gospel, and we use it as a plaything to confirm whatever we wished it would to be when we accommodate Jesus' message to buoy up our own position, our own wants, the whims of our own society, when we do this, it's not just a different gospel. It's no gospel at all. It's not Jesus' gospel. I'm reminded in 18th century, a writer, Voltaire, he famously said, in the beginning, God created man in his own image, and man has been trying to repay the favor ever since. To take this good news and say, I wonder if we can kind of make it more about our own image, the image of our wishes, our liking, our desires. I think one of the most widespread subtle ways in which we have distorted the gospel is that we've made it a private and personal transaction. The gospel has been made into a private and personal transaction. What is the gospel? For many of us, the gospel is a way for me to get into heaven. This is how I was raised in my own background. What I believed it to be is that uh, if I say this prayer, if I repeat these lines, if I ask Jesus in my heart, then I'm assured heaven, which is mostly I'm assured not to have to experience hell. (laughs) Now, friends, Jesus did come to save us from our sin and brokenness. Christ does want us to come to him and turn our lives over to him and confess our need of Christ and call upon his name for forgiveness. But if it ends there... What's missing? What's missing? Life in between. Yeah. Christ's power is otherworldly. His kingdom come here and now, right? And community. It, 
the gospel, I, I want to be careful how I say this uh, because this word is, is, is complicated and this is why I didn't write it down, but uh, the gospel is political. It's not partisan. It's not owned by a political party, but it's political as in the fact it's public, it's societal. That word polis means the city or society. The kingdom coming is not a personal and private transaction. It's not just done when we've recited those lines or walked the aisle like I did many times just to be, just to be careful, right? It's, it's not like Jesus is along for the ride until I go on the other side of life. It's about Christ's transforming power here and now that gums, it comes into my life and it spills out into this world. I heard a Christian author and activist, Lisa Sharon Harper, she shared a moment when she realized that her idea of the gospel was far too small. She was trained in a college ministry that took the word evangelism very seriously. They were trained to have a track to go, spend time mostly around college campuses to find people mostly they didn't know and to walk through this track. And in doing so, they're sharing the gospel. They're sharing evangelism. And this track ended up having leading towards simple truths, truths like this. God loves you and has a plan for a life, wonderful plan for your life. But you are sinful and therefore separated from God. But Jesus has died and paid the penalty for your sin and received, Jesus has received the wrath that God has for you. And all you have to do is to say this prayer and you will go to heaven. That's the gospel. That was the tract. But then one day, she went on a pilgrimage to retrace her ancestors' experiences. And part of her ancestors' experiences was she was from the Cherokee tribe, I believe. And she uh, re-walked the trail of teals that her indigenous ancestors experienced as they were forcibly removed from their land. 16,000 people were held in stockades for a year before being forced to walk 800 miles. 800 miles. So after that, then she visited another side of her ancestors' lineage. And so for her, she did some research on her some of her family that was enslaved, and she got to know her family's stories, including her great-great-great-grandmother named Leah Ballard. Leah Ballard had 17 children. That's like a, a team, like sports, you know? And she had 17 children, not because she loved children, but because that was her role. She was a breeder, and her job was to give birth to as many valuable black bodies as she possibly could. 17. And Lisa Sharon Harper, she imagined going up to these relatives, one that was experienced horrific, uh, being moved, being the loss of family, seeing death happen all around them. She also imagined going to her great-great-great-grandmother, Leah Ballard, who experienced horrific breeding practices by her enslaver. And she thought of, if I could share the gospel with them, and how would that sit? Looking at her great-grandmother's eyes after she experienced that trauma and said, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. But you are sinful, and therefore you are separated from God. But Jesus has died for, and paid the penalty for your sins and received God's wrath for you. And all you have to do is say this prayer and you will get to heaven. And she sat with how 
small that felt. The disconnect. Don't you see how that misses the mark? Don't you see how the message of good news doesn't seem good enough? Good enough for people who are sitting in pain and sitting in brokenness and misery and injustice. Yes, the gospel is about a radical personal transformation, about a restored relationship with God, but if it ends there, it's not Jesus' gospel. The salvation of the gospel is not merely to get us into heaven, but to have Jesus' kingdom come into our world here and now. It's about justice and peace breaking into pain and brokenness and oppression. It's about healing and salvation breaking into hopelessness and sinfulness. It's about having this kingdom expand in midst of everything around us, how this kingdom can conquer separation and loneliness and hopelessness. The gospel is coming to each of us. And friends, that is good news. And what we'll see in this letter, we'll see see even next week as we look at chapter 2 of Galatians, is that their problem with the gospel, Paul's issue with the gospel, is that it had become good news for some, but not anyone. And anytime we try to fence in Jesus' gospel based on our desires and our wants, it's not just a different gospel, it's no gospel at all. The good news reserved for some who knew the script, who were born in the right families, how the gospel was given. If you knew how to play the right rules, rules not based on Jesus' rules, but based on our own making of the rules. And it's not hard to look back in the church's past and see how we have done many of the same things. How we are so predisposed to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. Too often our good news has been good news for some, but not anyone who's desperate for words of healing and hope. Not for those who are pleading for hope and healing. Our good news has often alienated races and cultures. It's subjugated women. It's oppressed people of color. It's dehumanized and damned our brothers and sisters in the LGBTQ community. It's created oppression and judgment and division even within Christ's church. And we have this predisposition to baptize worldly powers and principalities and baptize them for personal gain. Our history is one that describes our affinity to another gospel. But if Just to say this clearly, if the gospel is not good news, especially for those in the margin, it's not the gospel of Jesus. It's claimed by someone else. This is how Jesus initiated his gospel work. When he came into the scene, this was his first message. He went into the temple. He opened up the scroll and he said this, the spirit of the Lord is on me. This is his inaugural address, imagine. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news, gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the script 
rolled up the scroll, and began to initiate his kingdom and his reign. Do you see the gospel there too? Oh, that we would just seek to do what Paul was imploring the church of Galatia to do. We need a reset. This is what he said in verse 11 and 12. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. I didn't pick it up along the way. I'm not borrowing from society's desires to make this. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. This is the way in which we receive the gospel, is to receive it from Jesus Christ. For us to discover this good news, the gospel, we must seek to embody Paul's words. We make, must make sure that this gospel has been received by, by Christ himself. We must be ever so careful not to add anything beautiful to the simple truth of Jesus' gospel, ensuring that it is as, as expansive as Christ has desired it to be. So next week, we're gonna explore this more, but today, I just want us to end by just recentering this good news on Jesus. For us as a community to just open ourselves up for Christ to, to, to thresh the gospel message that we've heard, to make sure that whatever we have, whatever we hold as as Jesus' gospel truly is from him, that we should pray that Jesus' kingdom would continue to expand in our hearts and our words around us. And finally, for us to invite Christ to teach us how good the good news truly is.